Welcome to the Blue Collar Nation podcast, the podcast dedicated to making the lives of home service professionals better. Now join Eric and Larry to talk about all things home service. Well, hello, everybody. This is Larry from the Blue Collar Nation podcast. I'm here with my reticent business partner, the Tech Whisperer, Mr. Eric Sprague. What's happening, Eric? How are you today? Why are you calling me reticent, man? This not revealing one's thoughts or feelings readily on a consistent basis. And then your name was in the dictionary. I was like, how do you do that? I was kind of impressed. It's kind of a big word, Larry. I know. It's always a you big know, word with Larry. Yeah. You know, I've had weeks to figure this out because this has been planned thoroughly. So I had time to put together my words. So we're all good. Do you think it's a good word, Derek? Help me out. Is this explain I, Eric a little bit? It's a pretty good word. And it it is pretty much spot on. Just exactly. You know what? I even called his wife to double check. And I she was like, yes. I don't even know why I'm friends with the two of you. I really sometimes. <laughs> just... I, w- I wonder too, Eric, why are you friends with these guys? The only person I don't know Josh well yet. Right now, the only person that I like here is Katie. Thank you. Thank you. And Eric, you're going to like Josh. I know Josh. I got to introduce. I've got to introduce everybody. No one knows who we're talking about on this podcast. Okay. So hang on a second. We do have a sponsor for this podcast first though, which is the most important thing. So Eric, why don't you trigger the podcast please or the advertiser. And now a quick message from our title sponsor, super tech university. Did you know 85% of financial success comes from soft skills abilities and only 15% from our technical abilities? SuperTech U was created by longtime restoration pros, Eric Sprague and Larry Wilberton. Their daily three to five minute videos train your entire company on the soft skills they need to make your business thrive. Plus your entire team earns IICRC CEC credits, all for about the cost of one tank of gas. To get more information about SuperTech University and receive a special six-lesson e-course on in-home sales, go to supertechu.com backslash podcast offer. Again, get your free in-home sales training at supertechu.com backslash podcast offer. Okay, and we're back, and we have an amazing collaborative podcast today we have katie harris and derek priest of the world famous online marketing company spot on solutions also joined with josh emke who has the only solution for your restoration billing needs one claim solutions and it is a pleasure to have you folks with us today we're super glad to be here once again, with the man, Larry Wilberton, and his sidekick, Eric Sprake. You know, uh, the, right, what's that? Here. You start an alliance on, on the show Survivor. I'm, I'm starting an alliance with Josh and Katie. Just, just <laughs> the two of I, feel good. I feel good about that alliance, Eric. Yeah, yeah. I'll take that one all day. So, okay. <laughs> now, you guys have no idea what you're getting into. He's reticent. You'll never know what's going on in his head. <laughs> he is reticent. <laughs> he is reticent. You can be on his team. <laughs> you're just like good luck with reading his mind all the time <laughs> y'all basically be on be that alone. island exactly right. it's be a quiet island all right well all right, eric 
I'm going to, I'm going to take the every, floor. I'm going to tell everybody what's on my mind right now. Okay. Please do. All right. So what's on my mind is the restoration industry. And the reason we got the five of us here is we're, we're going to do a couple podcasts. We're going to be on Derek and Katie's podcast and, and we're on our podcast and we want to talk about the restoration industry. And we're going to start off today really with building your restoration business, you know, how to get work, where to find the work, what's good work, what's not such great work and and all the pros. And, and then, and then what the heck you do once you actually have the work. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> like, yeah, I, that's a long podcast right there. Well, and, yeah. and, 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 and look with Josh here, it's also, how do you get paid your value for the work that you get? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, always an issue as well, but let, let's, let's start out with, and I'm going to, I'm going to lean on Derek and Katie here at the beginning, you know, the obvious choice when people, especially nowadays talk about getting work in our space, they want to talk about digital marketing, right? That's the first thing that's going to be out of their mouth. Um, so, you know, Katie and Derek, like, let, let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a restorer that I'm not brand new. I've been around a couple of years and I don't know, maybe I'm at a half a million, maybe I'm at a million. Like, what am I going to do differently other than, you know, get known in my own area to start driving work to my business and get the phone ringing? What do you, what do you, what would the, the scenario be for me? I'll tell you one of the questions we're getting a lot in the last, I don't know, probably the couple, last couple of years, post COVID more than any time is, Hey, can I use digital to either complement or replace like a salesperson, right? How does digital work with my sales team to um, bring in leads? Dirk, don't you get that question quite a lot? Well, yeah, definitely get that, that question. And I, you know, when, when you have, when you're looking at marketing budgets, when you're looking what the, the, Big challenges is to make sure that you understand that there's a difference between marketing and sales. I get so, so many times like that, you know, companies look, they, they intermingle those two words together. Like our sales and marketing are, you know, are lacking or I, I need to do more sales and marketing. Well, you need to do marketing and you need to do sales. And those two are very different. Sales is, I mean, marketing is what, what you do to generate leads sales is what you do to bring cat, you know, to turn those. Yeah, leads it's in. like marketing jobs, gets the right? phone to oh, ring. Job. Yeah. Like, like in your marketing, that's what the goal of marketing is, is to get people to pick up the phone and call you. And then by darn you better then your sales is what chain turns them into a customer. So, uh, and, and the skill sets for those two things are completely different. Like people totally say, oh, I'm different. in sales and marketing. It's like, well, which one? Yeah, yeah. exactly. They're not necessarily complimentary. They certainly aren't. You know, right. I mean, if you look at Larry and I, Larry is a marketer. That mm-hmm. is what he does. But he sucks at sales. I'm <laughs> <laughs> cool. just kidding you, Larry. Wow. I need to be more reticent. <laughs> you need to be more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep your thoughts. No, but yourself. but you're right, Larry. Eric, it's true. Like you've got people who you've got marketing, and then you've got the people who go in, who come in and close that job. The sign on the dotted Close. Line, right? Yeah, they got to close, and not the same for thing. Sure. To, you know, 
uh, pineapples. That is a hundred percent marketing, right? That is relationships. That's networking. That's, that's growing the way. So people will call you, but you still got to sell it. Like you still got to get people to sign. Okay. Yeah. Sign up so, so now that we've got that clear so that people understand <laughs> the difference, because, well, no, I don't, I don't think a lot of people do. I mean, look, let's get real when it comes to restoration, especially smaller companies. I, I think I, I read somewhere recently, correct me if I'm, maybe Josh knows this figure. I, I believe only like 6% of all restoration companies ever break 2 million. Does that sound about right? You said six, 60% or 6%? St- six. I would think that's right. Okay. That sounds about right yeah. to me. So that being said, we have a lot of people who are kind of like doing this on their own, right? Like they they don't have a marketing department or all that stuff. So, you know, a lot of times where do most owners come from in our space? They started as technicians in some way, Artists. shape or form. Derek did, right. Larry and I did. And they're learning how to market. So what would you tell that person who it's not their natural inclination to be a marketer, right? They, they like to do the operations side more. How do they start? You know what I, I think is so interesting. Like, I wish we could just like turn on comments on this podcast right now. And everybody that was listening, jump in because I hear so often like, oh yeah, the person who answers my phones also helps me um, with my insurance claims. Also, books the jobs, also runs my Facebook page, right? Like we're clumping people until we get to that $1 million, $2 million mark of a business. You've got people doing multiple things. And a lot of times the things that we're talking about right here, you've got one person that was probably hired to be a front desk person or an admin type person that's in charge of your booking your jobs, running your Facebook page, you know, following some some insurance claims. Yeah, that's not great practice. No, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's but I think it's it's the reality of we getting, did getting your business to where you want it to be. Yeah. yeah. I think the real question is how do you start to know when your business is at a place where you need to have some experts in certain things, when you need to have a marketing person a salesperson, an ops person, a trainer, right? All those different pieces because they kind of end up one person doing them until you peel off responsibilities. Josh, what do you see with your clients? I mean, you have a lot of restorers as clients. I mean, are are you, are you getting insight into this from your side of the coin? Well, on that note of, you know, one person kind of doing it all, a lot of times we see the whole spectrum there. Really, we do. We, we see that aspect of it. We see companies that are extremely sophisticated, and, and especially when it comes to their marketing and sales. And, and a lot of times those are two different departments, which is good. Um, and I, I think it's, it's always kind of come back to me where, um, you know, you kind of get what you put into that type of an aspect of it with the marketing. Um, one of the lessons I learned early on was uh, marketing really ought to be a large part of your budget, especially early on in, in creating a business and, and trying to drive the awareness of your company and, and start with that. So um, I think all too often restoration contractors completely underestimate the value of a good marketing program. 
I agree. I agree. I agree too. I like I like where that conversation's going for sure. I, I remember <laughs> when Larry and I early on when we we're trying to grow, when you look through our PL every month, our marketing budget was a very large percentage of our to- total. And then as we got bigger and, and better, it started to shrink. But I think most people would be like cringing at what that percentage was. Mm-hmm. We're we're at up upwards of 20% marketing budget. That's the really? number I was going to yeah. say right because there. We, you got to be somewhere between 20 and 25%. The only way that we were going to compete in that Los Angeles market to break in and to get a name for ourselves was to just eat it and just pay 20% of our total. And it hurt, but it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, and then as we got a name for ourselves, we could get that down closer to like eight to 10. But that took a while. But I think that I think it's important, though, Eric, is to know is like, yeah, you're spending 20, 25 percent of your marketing budget or on on towards marketing. But you're doing you were doing a variety of things. Right. And I think that's a mistake that I think that's something that people make a mistake at is they put all of their eggs into one basket, just like a lot of companies make a mistake and they they put all their eggs into the TPA basket. And then when that goes awry, then they, their phone stops ringing. It's the same thing with marketing though. I mean, people, the mistake business owners make is they assume that one Avenue of marketing is going to be the, the, the home run for them. And, and it's not. And I mean, we, you've got to have pieces. You've got to have, the digital piece. I mean, obviously you've got to have, you got to be able to be found online. Um, but you also, you also have to have relationships. You have to grow yeah. the kind of business that um, warrants people remembering you and telling their friends and, and family about you. You've got to be out in the community. Like you guys, you guys did the whole, you know, you were out doing events, you were barbecuing, you were doing every, you, know, you had, you had pineapple Pete there who was taking around pineapples to the, to the world. Right. No, I mean, you have to do many things. To, and and so you now can't, that you've blown apart my entire outline. Thank you. Okay. Thank so you. Let, let, let's let's well, let, let's for the listeners and then we can kind of like start going back and talking about it. Sure. So, some of the topics that we're, we're, we are going to talk about today would be digital marketing, referral marketing, the barbecues, the chambers of commerce, the knocking on doors. And I mean, that's really how Larry and I built our business mainly. Then you have program work, TPA work, right? That's a whole nother animal. And then, you know, you have commercial versus residential work, right? They're totally different animals as well. And then, like you said, Derek, to your point, it's like, trying to figure out how to find an ideal mix of all of those things and put that piece together. And I think the best restoration companies do a good job of that. The the people that you see really grow, they're doing some version of that usually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there to the four of you. What do you think a good mix of those things looks like? We'll work backwards now. 
Thanks, Derek. <laughs> we'll work backwards. Sorry that I hijacked your. No, it's fine. What do we think a good mix of that looks like? And then we can go back and talk about each individual, you know. I think it has to do with it has to do with the individuals. I mean, you got some people that are really good with people that don't mind banging on doors and hitting the pavement. And then you got other people that it's the last thing in the whole world they're going to want to do. So they're going to lean towards the online marketing and someone like me and you, or we're going to be banging on doors. So you have to go towards your comfortable skill set and then find reliable partners who are going to help you do that things, those things. That that's what I think initially you have to start with. Well, and then you also have the program and TPA work to take into consideration too, because that's a way to get work. But usually, I'm sorry, Katie, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go, go. Usually the concern with people who are going to enter those is how much am I giving up? How much am I paying to do that work? Right. And I want to lean on Josh heavily on the TPA and program work stuff. It's like, what are they giving up? Like if, if Larry and I decide we're going to spend our marketing dollars with digital and banging on doors, like that's how we're going to get our work. How would that differ from somebody that said, you know what, I'm going to do TPA work or I'm going to try to get on a preferred vendor list. Like, are we end up, do we end up doing, giving up the same amount or is it different? And, and I, Larry and I never did TPA or program work. So I don't know that side of the business very well. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic question, and I think it kind of is the age-old question in the industry and, and a hot topic right now. Um, <clears throat> look, there's always a marketing fee, right? Regardless of where you're getting that work or or what the nature of it is, whether it's, you know, you've got different referral partners um, on the independent side, you've got those marketing fees to keep those guys happy, make sure they're still throwing jobs your way and, and referring you uh, to their customers. So you're giving up stuff there, but on the TPA side, you're absolutely giving up uh, a lot of your autonomy on how you're going to run your company, on how you're going to protect your company and what type of liabilities you're going to protect yourself from. Um, a lot of these TPA programs don't allow you to do certain safety precautions with you know a typical you know dry out job and and they want you to run the job a certain way not bill for certain line items only be able to bill at certain rates a lot of them even under exactimate not just you know saying hey bill at exactimate and you're good a lot of them are saying hey see what you can do to come under exactimate and we can even throw you more work so there's things that are being given up all over the place from you know a scope standpoint as well as the autonomy to to be able to adjust your price into where you need it to be so at the end of the day it, it can often be a toss-up you know who do you want to answer to do you want to answer to answer to the free market and be competitive out there doing it that way or do you want to answer to the tpas and and play the 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 game their way um you know i i don't have a whole lot of you know data on you know, margins of TPA contractors versus the independent contractors. But based on my experience in the last 10 years in this industry and, and interviewing hundreds and hundreds of contractors across the country, it's really hard to make the TPA program work if that's your sole source of work. So if you if you are ideal or I if you are keen on going that TPA route, that's great. That fits in that fits a niche in the industry. Sure. But it can't be all of your work. You're not going to hit your margins doing that. And mm -hmm. so I would it's uh 
it's an interesting dynamic there with the TPA or program work versus the independent guys out there. Yeah. My fear with that was always like, they'd be like, oh, you're going to get all kinds of volume. And it's like, yeah, but I'm, now I have all kinds of low margin volume that I still have to buy vans and hire people and manage. And like, like, why do I want more of that? Like, and I'm not, I'm not anti-TPA. I, I'm not. I, I think it serves a purpose. And I, I, I do understand that I've Plenty of coaching. Like got a niche. Yeah, but I do agree with you. Like, you can't make that all your work. Kate, Katie, do you have Derek? Do you guys have something to add to that? Well, well I have like I have two. Oh, go ahead, Derek. Go oh, ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I have two thoughts that are like coming through my head at the same time. One, I I'm thinking of a very specific client that was heavily in TPAs and doing really, really well. And then, you know, had some problems and, and they're off, they're off TPAs and their phone stopped ringing. And, and I remember how absolutely terrifying that was for him as a business owner, because it was his business. Right. And, um, and that's always like stuck in my head of, man, you've got to have some balance so that you do lose a lot of control with certain things, but there are some things you can control. So where are your lead sources? What are you nurturing? What do you have out there? coming together, right? That is something you can control so that if one isn't great, you can lean on something else. And so that's a thought, but on the flip side of it, stepping away from TPAs a little bit, like I remember when we were helping you guys with your marketing for your restoration company. And I remember how much you were paying plumbers for leads. So that's a a dollar amount. (laughs) That was a dollar amount that was for sure in your marketing budget, right? You're going to go buy you know, you're going to up your Google ads budget or you can go pay that plumber. And, and you guys had a huge marketing expense that was going into your plumber leads. Well, Katie, in addition to that, and this is the thing nobody talks about. And I know everybody pretty much experiences when you are in the plumber game. So you're obviously paying a finder's fee, right? Everybody's doing that, mm-hmm. but, but nobody talks about the, the labor cost for dealing with all the, like, Plumbers. So like Larry, we had a plumbing company that had like 60 vans. That's a full-time job. Larry's just managing all those plumbers and all the calls and all the follow-ups and all the texts. So like, not only are we paying money for each lead job, but now we have a whole salary of a person who's supposed to be out getting more business, but as they get big clients, like plumbing companies, all of their time is is wrapped up in account management, basically. Yeah. And it's just you're an account manager at that point. You're not even a marketer. You're just taking care of one account. Yeah. And, and, and if you lose that one account, boom, there's two million bucks a year gone. Right. Yeah. It only takes one bad job for that to happen. Hey everyone, Eric here with Blue Collar Nation Podcast, and I would just like to take a moment to talk about my favorite magazine for the cleaning and restoration industry, and that is CNR Magazine. I've been a longtime reader of CNR Magazine, and now my good friend Michelle Blevins has purchased that magazine and is growing it at an amazing rate. So if you're in the cleaning and restoration industry, you will be excited to hear that not only can you get CNR Magazine digitally, but you can also get it for free in print form, actual paper where you get to sit on your couch and read it, which if you're my age, that's appealing. So 
all you have to do is go to cnrmagazine.com and that's C-A-N-D-R magazine.com to get your free subscription and it's even in print. So if you want to stay on top of what's going on in the cleaning and restoration industry and here, you know, get to see a lot of cool articles by a lot of very smart people, go to candrmagazine.com. It's the same thing. Like, you know, I'll talk about program work real quick in Southern California, triple a, you know, was like, they switched had, their algorithm at one they point. Had certain shops that around us for years that had, I mean, these places had grown big, basically based on AAA work. And then like literally almost one day to the next, AAA went with SurfPro nationwide. And these shops that were way bigger than Larry and mine, they went under oh, yeah. within a few months because they had no other work. It's like Josh said, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And no. we saw that with a bunch of companies. It wasn't just one or two. There was many of them in the Southern California area that we knew. They just changed, you know, the, the provider changed the rules yep. and all of a sudden you're out. I don't know if that happens with Google with you guys, but they change oh. your algorithm and it throws throws you for a curve. It, that has never happened, Larry. <laughs> Google has been the same yesterday, today, and will be the same forever. They will never change. And so you, once you're in with Google, boy, we have in. a disclaimer to our blue collar nation, nation listeners. We're gonna get this. We're gonna get data demon- demonetized on YouTube or something here. Because- I'll tell you, like one of the more recent things that happened with Google that put a little kink in things for people is all of a sudden you can become Google guaranteed, right? You can participate in local service ads where. You go through their process, free process, get Google guaranteed. And now that's up at the very, very top of a search engine results page. So above everything else are your Google guaranteed listings. And um, man, if you don't have somebody who's lane, whose whole job is having their eye on the marketing side of things, changes like that happen and you've got to catch up to them because we're able to jump in now. Google guaranteed or local service ads, those are pay by lead advertising opportunities underneath them you have your pay-per-click opportunities right and then your maps and then your organic so you got all these different strategies in place that are changing really fast and through this whole conversation i just keep thinking all right if i'm a restoration company and i'm listening right now i'm thinking yeah those are all the problems yeah those are all the challenges what do i do i was gonna say we've only talked the problems I know we've only talked the problems and the thought I'm thinking like, okay, what do you do? Where do you start? And I remember Google actually coming to our office one time doing a quarterly planning with us. And, and I remember him looking at us and being like, you got to get in your own lanes, right? You need, you need somebody in sales. You need somebody in marketing. You need somebody in operations. You need somebody in people and building your team instead of one or two or three people doing a little bit of all of it. And so, I mean, as I'm listening to all this, I'm like, okay, so how do you know what your lane is? How do you know when to pick people in specific lanes? So they've got their eyes on specific parts of your business. So instead of maybe lagging in how you're doing things, you're leading, you're making leading decisions. So what do you think you do then, Katie, as far as trying to figure out what the spectrum should look like for getting work? Like what, I mean, do you have an ideal in your head? Like 
this much digital, this much referral, this much program? I mean, um, I think those are pieces to it, but your spectrum has to go even bigger than that, right? It's got to get into the fulfillment and the building a team because once you start, say like you've got two lead sources right now and you're like, okay, I've got my referral marketing going and I've got my organic marketing going. I'm going to add Google paid and and local service. I'm going to add two new lead sources to it. Well, guess what? That's going to change based on your area, what those percentages are. But what's not going to change is the second you add more lead sources, that means you're going to have more leads. You're going to have more work, right? Which means you're going to need more people out doing the job. You're going to, everything else in your business shifts at the same time. And so, yeah, you might get more leads coming in, but that also means now your fulfillment team looks different. Now your collections team looks different. Now your billing department looks different. Like everything is connected to those decisions. Well, I think that's a perfect segue a little bit to talk with Josh about getting paid because I see, I see a couple things, right, Katie. So we've been, Larry and I've been through everything you just said, and, you know, it used to be everybody does everything. And now we're building an org chart and having people do specific roles, but, you know, when it comes to getting paid and everybody, this is always a hot topic too. It's like, how much time does the owner or a project manager devote to arguing with adjusters over scopes, right? Like if I look at my own business, I used to sit in my office and just grind on the phone while I should have been out knocking on more doors, building my business. And I'm not well equipped to do the argument. I mean, I like to argue, but like, it doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily get paid. So you know, you're just gonna go. You're just gonna go make friends all day long. That's what you're oh, gonna yeah, do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That role. Yeah, Mr. So. Redison. That's what we want to do all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, my my question to you, Josh, is like, as we build these teams and we're trying to get paid, everything that Katie just said in building a team costs money. So we need to make sure that we get enough money for the for the marketing dollar and for the work that we're doing and getting paid. But also at the same time, there's an opportunity cost to taking the time to deal with all of, especially if you're doing a lot of losses, to be talking to adjusters all day. So why don't you, I mean, for the people who don't know what you do, why don't you kind of, A, tell them what one claim solution is a little bit, but then get into the nitty gritty of like what like some success stories are for outsourcing their sure, sure. billing. So one claim solution is is really, you know, I can draw a pretty quick analogy to it to the medical world because that's where I come from is is the medical billing world. Uh, before starting OCS, I was general counsel for an air ambulance billing company, and so that's what kind of got me into the the mindset of of this industry and, and working with insurance companies this way. But in the medical world, you know. These hospitals and doctors' offices, a lot of them will use outsourced billing agencies. You don't have the doctor getting on the phone with the insurance company. You know, they they'll have MAs, you know, medical assistants that'll that may might try to get pre-approvals or something like that. But 
for the most part in that medical world, you have medical billing agencies that specialize and focus on working with insurance companies to make sure the documentation is right, that they're using my time, ICD-9, it changed to ICD-10 when I left, but uh, making sure that you're using the right codes and documenting those codes correctly. And so the concept is not a, a foreign concept when it comes to insurance. Um, it seems to be a foreign concept when it comes to property insurance, which is, you know, different. Um, a lot of these contractors think that they're best suited to also negotiate with the insurance companies while at the same time handling their their normal day-to-day business. And and some of them are really good at it, but that distracts from what they're trying to do with their company. Are they trying to grow the company? Or are they just trying to maintain? There's an opportunity cost there. Yeah. So you got to look at, see what you're giving up by being the one to be on the phone with the insurance company. And so what we've really tried to do through OCS is bring a different, a different angle to the industry on, on really trying to help, um, you know, it sounds cliche, but level the playing field a little bit. And what I've come to really recognize is that comes from both sides. You know, that's not just trying to beat the insurance companies up repeatedly. You're not going to have any sort of longevity in this industry if all you're trying to do is is pick that fight over and over again with an insurance company. So there has to be accountability on both sides. And and when it comes to wanting to make sure that you're getting paid as much as possible for the work that you do, I mean, a lot of us will look back at the S500 or the S520 and say, hey, look, uh, this says you have to pay this uh, line item because right here it's justified. Well, cool. Did you did you provide the supporting documentation to state why you did that? Because if you can if you can state why you did that that certain you know line item in the scope, then the adjusters have that be able to to be able to rely on and say, okay, hey, look, I've done my job and documented my file because I'm going to get audited by my supervisors. And so if I can do a good job documenting my file, I'll approve these line items to be paid. And so there's a lot of work to be done on the contractors end too, to make sure that they're documenting their job file direct uh, correctly. And that's something that we'll work with them a lot on, you know, throughout the whole process. Um, But it's that accountability on both sides that just, it's so important. You can't so do you feel that contractors generally don't provide enough detailed notes to get hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, it's uh, like we don't know that. that. Like that doesn't it. happen in every restoration company all the time. Yeah, yeah well, I have a question actually. So you were in the medical field. Did they have the same problems in the medical field as you do with the restoration with the documentation? They they do. They do, but it's not it's not as bad because in that industry, if you get a letter of medical necessity from a doctor stating why that needed to be done, the insurance companies will rely on that pretty heavily. Whereas in this industry, if you have something from an industrial hygienist stating why it needed to be done, carriers oftentimes don't care. They don't even look at it. So one of the things that is really frustrating for me is you know, when I'm trying to help a contractor get paid for work that they did correctly, they documented it correctly, they did everything right, and you submit it to the carrier and they just say, we don't pay that because we don't want to. That gets very frustrating, even though the contractor does everything correctly. And I didn't see that a lot in the medical in the medical world. 
if you could provide justification for it, medical insurance was pretty good about paying for it. Not so much in the property insurance world. Why do and you that think that's really is? frustrating? You know, I think there's a lot of different reasons for it, Eric. I think uh, the newness of the industry is one of them. Um, I think there haven't been enough people really going out there trying to push and and fight for the contractors on those on those issues. And so the carriers have just done a really good job of getting away with it for so long. They've just kind of built this, and I hate using the word norm, but this norm in the industry where everyone just kind of accepts it for what it is. And, and they don't know that you can push back against it. And so when you, when you don't have an industry as a whole pushing back on an improper practice, those improper practices tend to stick around Mm -hmm. and that's what's happening. I just don't see enough contractors being willing to fight for their invoices and, and stand up for what they're doing and what they were trained to do uh, when they're doing the job correctly. I think that's because they're always, especially restoration, you're, it's always a cash flow game, right? You're just like, I got to get paid. On. I mean, Derek, Larry and I can yeah. speak to this extensively. It's like, 100%. it almost feels like, you know, we, at least from my perspective, it would feel like they would just be like holding back and seeing how long I could go before I'd start to negotiate because they knew that I had payroll coming up or whatever. Right. You know, <laughs> that's right. And, that's right. And, and that's what I'm thinking. Like, okay, well, how much can I carve off this? But you can only do that so much. And now all of a sudden you don't really have a business. You just have like something where you're surviving from payroll to payroll. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of contractors back. are there. Yeah, that's right. It goes back to that, uh, you know, it, it becomes almost an analysis uh, on, on each invoice. Okay, how far do I push before just mm-hmm. caving and, and getting what I can? Or or do you cave at all? Do you push and get as much as you can on the front end to help facilitate and streamline that cash flow and then turn around and keep pushing for the balance? There's nothing that says you, you get one check and that's it. You know, try to make that first check as much as you can. That'll help offset some of the pain that comes from from the delay of working with insurance companies, but there's always ways to bring accountability on the back end, you know, after you can try to get as much of those upfront costs covered and, uh, and, and really not delay the cash flow that much. But that's the, that is absolutely spot on, Eric, is, you know, cash is king, especially when you have these marketing expenses, you know, you've got to take care of these, these, uh, these sources. And if you're not, you're going to lose them. So you've got to make sure you've got the cash in the coffers to be able to handle it. I remember a couple of doctors, doctors owning restoration companies and see how that works out. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, he was using that analogy, Larry. So basically Josh is saying that I'm a doctor. (laughs) Exactly. I was thinking, Josh, Josh, while you were saying that, I thought this is such an interesting analogy, right? And, And I think to compare it, is so interesting because I have this like image in my mind of a doctor on the phone with an insurance company trying to negotiate, right? I'm like, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So why can't we see that shift here? I think that that's a different mentality. And, and you're right. It's just been accepted in the medical field. We would never expect a doctor to call to collect or to negotiate with the insurance company because that's not his lane. He's in a different lane and somebody else has their eye on that part of it. I think the the education level and the blue collar nature of our business works against us, at least right now. And that doesn't mean that 
our industry is not full of super smart people because it is yeah and in that in that um you know we're any less sophisticated in many ways but i think i think like josh said the the industry's newer and we you know for we feel like we don't have anybody who has our back too i think to a degree right so like i mean i know ed cross has been really trying and doing a good job at ria trying really to you know, good fix some of these problems we've had ed on the podcast a few times talking about them but i just remember like being on the phone i'm arguing thinking like i'm kind of gonna have to cave because i don't have anywhere to really go to back me up and then i'd call derek and complain about that right <laughs> you, you know well, and I think part of the challenge too, at least it was, and I, I think we have, I think restorers have a hard time getting all of their I's dotted, all of their T's crossed, communicating with really communicating with the people that they really need to communicate with in the first place. And that's their, their, their customers, right? I think they, sell themselves on the fact that they're going to go work with that the restoration company is going to go work with the insurance company. And, you know, you as the customer, the homeowner, you, you know, you, you can wash your hands of the whole thing, but at the same time, like when your customer is your advocate with the insurance company, like, I, I think that's a piece that I think often gets skipped overlooked because when that customer is is going to their insurance company to get the restoration company paid, then number one, I think those bills get paid more in full, more readily than they're trying to negotiate, and definitely quicker, right? Yeah, Derek, I, I agree with you. But I mean, I just know Larry and I had this all the time. I mean, one of the main, you know, because in, in LA, a lot of times I'm pulling up and there's four other restorers in the driveway and we're all going to battle it out to see who's going to sure. get the thing. So what's my main selling point? Don't worry, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, I'm going to take every, I'm going to take care of everything from A to Z. You don't, all you got to do is sign here and we're good to go. Right. So now mm -hmm. all of that's on Larry and I and you to, yep. to make it happen. So then all of a sudden, when it comes time to, I need that person's backing with the insurer, they're like, well, what about the A to Z thing? I don't yeah. want to be. And, and also a lot of the conversations, and you know this, Derek, you've sold as many losses as me. They're afraid of the insurance company. They're petrified of the insurance carrier because they're like, are they going to drop me? Are my rate, rates going to go up? Right. So, yeah. so there's it baked into it. Like nobody ever says, I have to go to the doctor. Is the is the insurance company gonna drop me and my rates gonna go up? They they need they need the service, but it's is it really any different than what we do? I, I you're right. You're right. But I think that's a, like the challenges is is an education thing. Like yeah. when I had when I had the customer on my side, it was always easier. It was always easier than when oh than when we didn't, right? Well, and I, yeah. I, I think it's really easy too for restorers to become a little battle weary, right? You're battling yeah. for the jobs and you're battling for the work and then you're battling to get your team out there doing the best job they can. 
by the time it comes to battling the insurance for payment, like you're a little bit battle weary and you're already fighting a new battle for the next job you're working. And so that's where Josh, and maybe you could pitch in here, but that's where I think they get to a point where it's like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what else to do. I've been fighting this fight on this job for this long already. Um, do you think there's some truth to that? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think the carriers are savvy to that too. And yeah. Yeah. Hope for that. <laughs> and so, you know, and along with that is, is the availability, you know, if you're out there answering your phone every time it calls because it's a potential new customer or something like that, you know, you've got to be available to be able to bring in that business. On the other hand, you've also got to be available if that adjuster is calling you. If an adjuster is calling you, that means they're looking at your invoice and they're ready to, to do something on it. So if you miss that call, man, your, your invoice is going to go back into the queue and who knows when that adjuster is going to be ready to look at it again. So being available for that one phone call, whenever it happens within that 30-day period, <laughs> you, see, you never know when it's going to come, yeah. is, is essential. Um, Good point. You do not want your file to go back to the bottom of the pile. Hey, I have a big announcement to make today about uh, our company, Supertech University. We have started an affiliate program and we have started an affiliate program that may, may be a little different than the affiliate programs that you've heard about or seen in the past. And we, I don't even like the word affiliate, right? I, I like the word partner. And we really want partners. We, we're not a transaction-based type of company. We're a relationship company. Uh, both Larry and I are wired that way. So we want partners. And, and to prove that point, we are doing a 50% revenue split on every sale. Right? So uh, somebody joins Supertech University, our affiliate would get half the revenue. They're sharing it with us. So it's in our best interest to make sure that the product's good. And then that person stays for a long time because they're going to get 50% every single month, not just for a month or two. You know, we're, we're in it for the long haul together. So if you are interested in possibly becoming an affiliate with Supertech University, please reach out to me via email. That's eric, E-R-I-C, at supertechu.com dot com that's eric at s-u-p-e-r-t-e-c-h the letter u dot com no when it gets to the top keep it at the top <laughs> I get you know it. the other thing that's changed in the time from when derek and larry and i were doing this to now was it used to be that we had local field adjusters that we knew personally and we would go walk that job mm -hmm. and be like I need to do this. I need to do that. Here's I, I'm, I have a person with me. Here's why. And they were the final decision maker on that scope of work. And that we would have an agreement and a handshake before we left. Well, that's then, then the next step was, well, there's still a field adjuster, but then it's going to get kicked to a desk adjuster. And then the desk adjuster is bad cop. Right. And now all of a sudden I'm on the phone and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I had this whole conversation with with josh on site like why are you changing all the rules on me now yeah. and have you ever been on a loss by the way you, you know that kind of thing yeah and then and then now it's like yeah just send us a matterport and we'll uh we'll, we'll start figuring this out i mean i, I yeah. think the dynamic of it has made it harder to 
to manage the job with with as as a as a team as the carrier and the contractor together i felt like it was better 15 years ago that way my off base on that no i think that's right and and i've seen that even in in just the last 10 years eric to be honest with you kind of that shift um you know when, when i first started getting into the industry you know i was able to build relationships with field adjusters that would send their recommendations onto the desk adjuster and the desk adjuster would just pay based off of what the field adjuster was saying. Um, and it really has gotten away from that quite a bit, which is, <laughs> which makes you wonder, okay, what's the purpose of the field adjuster? Then they're not out there to adjust the scope. They're literally out there just to see if they're going to cover the loss or if they can find a way to deny it. And mm-hmm. yeah. that's typically what they're doing at this point. And, and that's all they're good for is yeah. what it seems like in the direction it's going. That's hard. All right. So what are the answers? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yeah. I think one thing to realize is the interesting thing about this topic, when we start talking about marketing and collections and all of this working with insurance, right? Like every single restoration company is facing the same things. So we hear these challenges, the same challenge over and over and over. So First thing is, is like, you're not alone, right? There's smart people out there doing it and there's things that have been figured out. And so I think a lot of times companies jump in and try to reinvent the wheel. Well, there's people that can help with that. There's the wheel has been invented and there are people that are succeeding. And so you don't have to feel like you work so alone in the battle. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. the, The word that keeps coming to my head too, guys, when I think about this is, is equilibrium, right? I've seen so many contractors, they seem to get hyper-focused on marketing, but then everything else within their company falls apart mm-hmm. because they're only focused on the marketing. Mm-hmm. And then they say, oh, now we got to scramble. We got to come over here and look at, you know, these other aspects of our business to make sure they're thriving again. And then the marketing starts to go down. So it's being able to maintain that balance and that equilibrium in all aspects of the business. That's where the success is going to come from for these guys. You can't get hyper-focused on one area and let the other one suffer. You've got to stay really balanced all the time. And that's hard to do. That is super hard to do. Uh, right. But it is, it is, happens. I mean, I, I can't tell you how often we have that same conversation. We get called when, you know, people, the time people want to talk about marketing is when their last job is just wrapping up and their phone hasn't rang and, you know, three weeks and like, okay, well now I need to start marketing and then they'll market, you know, and then they'll get some jobs and then they'll stop marketing so they can fix the jobs. And it's just like this. Oh, I mean, when Josh was saying that I was starting to sweat because like, (laughs) you know, what Larry, you know, Larry and his team would be out there just knocking on doors and this and that, and you know, what would happen is they'd overwhelm us operationally and, Myself and our team, we'd get to the point where like the guys are run ragged and we're so tired and, you know, we don't feel we couldn't hire and train people quick enough when when it's all firing on all cylinders. And we know that it's not going to fire on all cylinders all the time. So I'm kind of going to literally saying the unthinkable. uh, Can you turn the faucet off for just a little bit? Right. You know, and Larry's getting nervous because. When you're that busy, problems arise, makes you look bad to your referral partners, right? Yep. So yep. all of a sudden what happens is this constant 
up and down an ebb and flow that it's like so hard to get out of once you're in it. Like it's really, really difficult. And I think Josh, that's the reason, the reason of what you just said with the focused on one thing that focused on the other is like, once you get the phone to ring, you have to be able to do all that work successfully. And it takes like everybody's bandwidth away, you know, I that's mean, it's, right. And imagine trying to do all that as one guy or two guys trying to have all that balance when it just, it takes your focus completely away from other things. And, and if you can establish a system or a rhythm where your marketing is constantly going, you know, and and you're constantly feeding that aspect of the business. And then you've got the other aspect, which is the fulfillment side of things and constantly being able to build that, make sure you got the right people in place. And then you've got the other aspect of the collections or the billing or the invoice creation or the customer service. And it becomes too many hats for any one company to, to wear oftentimes, even if it's a really cool fedora, it just becomes difficult. <laughs> For those only listening, Larry's got a really cool fedora on. <laughs> so, you know, that's the whole thing. When we consult with companies that are starting out, we're like, listen, you need to sub things out. Just plan on subbing out your billing, subbing out your scope, subbing out your marketing, because you can't focus on everything. But when people are in the beginning and into a couple of years, you're not willing to do that at first because it's letting control. It's It's the mindset. That's where you need a coach to guide you in the mindset, like you're saying, to find equilibrium, because that's a perfect word, Josh, you find that equilibrium, you're going to succeed further and further. So it's a mind shift. Eric's really good about coaching people with that. And they've told me many times that that's how they get past certain hurdles. I love it. I mean, we, we just, Larry and I learned too, Josh, we got so burned out of like doing what you just said. That about Larry. That, yeah, you get so burned out. You just like can't do. Then you get to the point where you can't do any of it. Like you're just hanging on for dear life every day. Eric, you ever, you know what I'm I've talking about? There. Yeah, I've been there. But there, and, that's uh, the thing that's so awesome is there's so many, there's so many tools. There's so many resources today that are at your fingertips. Like when I was running my company, there weren't, there weren't companies like Josh. Like I they didn't have the have, internet back then. Uh, what's that? They didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have the internet back. <laughs> Larry, don't be too, don't be too, don't be too, don't be too snarky. <laughs> we were right there with him. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. But that's the thing. Like, if you think about, like, if you're you're trying to run a business and you know your strength is, you know, you've got it. You've got to market. You know, you got to sell. But then you also have to deliver on those on those brand promises. You know, I, I mean, how much money do you have to pay an estimator? How much money do you have to pay a, you know, a team, you know, your, your project manager, like Josh and companies like Josh didn't exist when I had my company. And I'll tell you what, like you think about that now, there are so many resources that companies can grab a hold of that will reduce the overall cost and take all of those headaches away. Like the idea of handing Josh or a company like Josh's a scope of work with, with great documentation. And then he does the rest. 
Like that's, I mean, it goes way beyond Josh. I'm not stealing your thunder at all, but it goes way past that. Right. Derek. So we were doing it. Number one, we were using paper files. Yeah. So were you. Right? You guys are so old. How old are you? My goodness. Katie remembers paper. Nice to, to us. Um, Katie remembers paper. She is a little younger, but she still yeah. she but, still you know, went to school. You know, paper. we're doing paper files. We don't have the the CRMs that exist now. I mean, they were starting and we we were using them and they were rudimentary. There was no Matterport to give a company like to send to an outside estimator all the information so that they can see literally everything or an in circle file and then there was no we scope or one claim solutions like that like we would have invested in all of those things so that we could have gotten down to doing the business of what we did best which was knock on doors get work and dry houses out right like i think and that's what i'm always telling my clients it's like you got in this business to help people you got in this business to, to, to get work and do work. So like, what can we put around you to support that? Because, you know, let's use, let's use, um, let's use what Josh does since Josh is here. Right. So like, all right, I want to go work on building my business. So I don't want to sit on the phone all day and argue with adjusters. Okay, great. So now I'm going to hire somebody who may or may not even have the skill set to do it. I'm only pulling from my local area, whoever I can get who doesn't have a job. We had another <laughs> restoration company who's yep. available. So and you got to train them. Yeah, but I'm not. My point is, is that yeah. I might get a good one, but my chances of getting somebody who can really get what I need is much lower than if I outsource it to somebody that's that's all they do. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense the other way to me. In this, you could say the same thing for lots of stuff in, in, in this business. So, you know, it's the so same Eric, thing. So like, Eric, I'm not going to try to do my own digital. I'm going to call Katie and Derek to do digital. Right. But you're a coach, right? I know, Eric, you're, you're an awesome coach. And you work with a lot of companies to help them like, okay, how do you shift the mindset? How do you get to those points? So, tell you know, put on your coach hat here for a minute and, and say, how how does somebody shift that mindset from, this is an expense I don't want to go get. I don't want to go pay a marketing company or I don't want to go pay an OCS or something like that. How do you shift from this is an expense to well, this is I, how I grow my I business? I usually do this a couple different ways. I mean, the first thing I always talk about is let, let's talk about opportunity cost. What is the cost of you you know, doing this when you could be doing that? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, is that you know, we start to look at either you know, where they're at right now like financially or where they're trying to get ideally. And then I start doing the math for them and saying, well, you're a thousand dollars an hour. So how many hours are you willing to do this week to argue on scopes? You're going to spend seven hours arguing scopes. Okay. So that's $7,000 in opportunity cost for you. Yep. Uh, how much does it cost to have somebody else do that? Right. Because like, I right. always have thought that way. Like, it's like, my time is worth X amount. Like if I have a, I don't know, $2 million business, that would probably put me at a thousand bucks an hour of my, that's the value of my time. If I am trying to use that to grow. So, you know, I'm always trying Katie to get them to think differently than just doing the work. That's I think one of the things, 
one of the things as you say that, that I think is really true is I think we underestimate the value of our own time, right? So how many people listening to this say, Ooh, I would never say my, an hour of my time's worth a thousand dollars. Like I wouldn't, you know, like, I think we underestimate the value of our own time. And that's the first roadblock right there. Well, are we going to treat it like a job or are we going to treat it like a business? Yeah. Yep. That's the difference, you know, and I, I try in my coaching and look, I've had to learn this myself. So is Larry. So of all of us, I had to learn, I had to unlearn being an employee to learn how to be a business owner. So a lot of, a lot of what I do with our clients is I'm on, I'm, I'm helping them unlearn being an employee in that mindset and think an opportunity and think in growth. And, you know, that takes some people a little bit of time and that's like some people a really long time. It just depends on a lot of factors. Right. But that's how I try to do this. Josh. Yeah. I've got a question for you, Eric, on that end. So is there a, when you get involved with the contractor to try to help them make these changes in this growth, do you find one certain type of contractor more willing to make those changes? For example, like in life, so oftentimes we're, we're so reluctant to change uh, unless we hit rock bottom or some major life event happens. And it's like, okay, we stand back, take a reflective period and, and look and make some changes. Right. Do you see that with contractors? Like it's the contractors that are just about ready to throw their hat in and just be like, I'm done. And you're like, whoa, 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 you got a good business. Look at some minor tweaks here and here, here and here that we can change. And it's going to change everything for you. And then those are the ones that might be more willing to, to implement those changes. The, the people who change the most, Josh, are the people who are in the most pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to tell you that, oh, there's a certain type of person that's super self-aware and enlightened, but usually it boils down to that, you know, they're very, they're, they're very driven to a goal. They don't always know how to get to the goal, but the fire is still there to reach the goal. And they've experienced enough resistance that they go, I need to find somebody to help me get past this resistance because I don't want to quit but I'm feeling like quitting because I'm not getting what I want. Maybe there's like, uh, to be honest, I'm usually last ditch effort guy, <laughs> right? you, you know, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and you know, Larry will back me up on this with our, with our coaching clients. Most of them, the first six months is me working on their mindset. Yeah. You know? See, is that's so like, it, it's true. And that's the facts. That's just the way that it is. But man, I just wish that that we could all figure out how way to help these contractors be able to implement change before getting to to something. I say this all the time because you're so on right, but we were never raised in school and high school. We were never trained to have a mindset past getting a job and going along. Maybe it's been different since we've been in school, but in college, it doesn't even give you a mindset of, having a business owner's the way of looking at things, the way we're talking about things. They don't go over these things. We learn these things because we've done coaching and we've worked on our personal development. We go on and on and we've done enough coaching. Eric and I know you guys as well is paid way more than in college and way more than anything. And it's been so much more valuable. We just don't get raised this way. And that's something that drives me nuts about 
this country. Well, and another thing, Josh, is to to back Larry and I Larry's point up. When we first were in our business, we were getting our butts kicked and we didn't know what we were doing because we didn't go to school for this and we're trying to figure it out. And, you know, just like a lot of contractors and, you know, I had grown up an athlete. I'd always had a coach for every sport that I was in. So it seemed reasonable to me to say, well, there's somebody out there that must train people like us for this. And we found Mm -hmm. a coach and we, you know, that's where we met Derek at first. And, but I think, you know, when we did that, we had a lot of resistance from people. You're spending how much money on a coach every month, you know? And it's like, uh, we didn't look at it that way. It's like, no, we're making an investment in ourselves to be able to Alabama spending on Nick Saban. And it seems to be working just fine for them. Just fine for him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, once, and, and the thing is, is that I think, I think coaching is undervalued a lot of times, especially in our world and they don't they don't view it as an investment they view it as a cost and it isn't that's right it isn't that's if right. they actually follow the the program and yeah, you know, right. the other thing is is that i'm going to go the other way with the question that you asked the the people who seem the most the most unable to take coaching or the least likely to engage in it. They're reticent to coaching. (laughs) Good word. I like that. Are are the ones who they're so hardcore into my identity is I'm a tradesperson or I'm a contractor. Like they, they think like technicians. And that's great for getting technical work done. My suggestion to most of those people is they should go be a project manager somewhere where there's a business owner. But like I have found like the people that it just, it's not a good fit for me to work with them is like, they kind of like, they always want to go just back to doing the work. They just, they don't want to expand their mind that like, you know, one of the things I tell every single client, your sales and marketing company that happens to do restoration. Like we got to get that off the table right now. Like if there's no work to do, then you're out of business. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't want you to be good at doing the restoration, but the first and foremost thing is we got to get the phone to ring. Like you've got to get your head around that. And I have had so many contractors, they just cannot get their head around that idea. Right. good conversation good conversation yeah well we we should save something for the next podcast so (laughs) katie i'm gonna give you the last word right so like you know we've we've talked about a lot of different parts and all of this is surrounding us getting paid right and and getting the phone to ring is, is part of that equation so for anybody listening let's just go just on the the marketing thing like give us the three things that you would suggest somebody do to get the phone to start ringing, like just basics. Okay. Super basic is always going to start with a website. So go take a look at your website, make sure it is showing up good on mobile, make sure it loads fast, right? Has good calls to action on it. Just the most basic because everything else you're going to go do when it comes to your digital marketing, you're going to be directing people to that website. So um, a lot of times we build our website and then 
we don't go back to it for years and years and years, right? You've got to make sure that that is converting and not just converting on the homepage, but converting on all your service pages. So that's number one. Number two, um, go check out your Google business profile. Google's really in love with this, you guys. It is free, right? And a lot of times we set it up. It's where our address is. Um, it's where our phone number is. It's where people leave reviews. Um, but it can do so much more. So now you can post updates on it, add pictures to it. And when you're doing that on a weekly basis, really quick, really fast, really easy, you are going to get rewarded in the rankings with Google when it comes to your Google business profile. And with that, I would tie reviews right into it, right? Make sure that you have more reviews than the guy down the street because there's so much social proof, whether it's fair or not, we're making decisions about who we're doing work with based off of reviews from people we've never met before. So put a focus on that. And then the third one is the paid, right? Have some levers that you can turn on and off as needed, whether that's in the local service ads with Google Guaranteed or pay-per-click with, you know, paying per clicks with things. But this is how you're going to ramp up when there's weather events. This is when you're going to, you know, pull a different lever when you need to go do some hiring. This is where you're going to have a lot of levers that you can pull so you get the phones ringing and target certain types of, of jobs and demographics. Perfect. And thank you. That's awesome. And Josh, I'm going to give you the final word. What are a couple of things that people can do to try to ease getting paid? Be reasonable. <laughs> you know. Wow, uh, imagine that. <laughs> do do work that's reasonable, you know. Um I, I, I would say that's the number one thing that you, that any contractor can do is just be reasonable about the work that you're doing and be reasonable with your expectations of being paid for that work. As far as, are you documenting it correctly? You know, if you're not documenting it correctly, why not? Is it because you don't have the knowledge to be able to document it correctly? Is it because you're too overworked? You don't have the time or the personnel available to document it correctly? Um, those are the, the two big ones that I would say are, are essential for getting paid, be reasonable and make sure you document why it's reasonable. <laughs> and then everything seems like, else seems is, like common sense, man. <laughs> you set up the file for success from the front end, you know, and, and something that else we talked about briefly was keep your customer happy, keep your customer on your side, keep them informed. That way they don't have sticker shock. There's nothing like that to make them your enemy. Keep them on your side. And that's going to help with the insurance process too. Right. I would say those three things. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Cool. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming that's on. Wonderful. Katie, so good. Katie's on vacation. I can see the lake behind her. And she's going to get out. of. She's like, will you guys please land this plane so I can go back? <laughs> no, it's awesome. I love the conversation. And I'm excited that this is just, one of a couple different podcasts that we're all going to do together because I think that we're all in spaces that everything we're doing with our clients impact other parts of their business. And so I love bringing all these pieces together for the conversation. Super smart. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Nation podcast. For more information about Eric and Larry and Supertech University, please visit us at supertechu.com. That is supertechu.com.
you, the letter U, dot com.